Welcome to Gamers Lounge, episode 155. 155. Um, that's a really freaking big number. I, I've been noticing that as the number gets bigger and I've been you know, regularly putting out episodes again. Uh, yes, the number gets bigger. No crap, I know. Um, but, you know, I did some uh, looking here and there and... Was uh, was intrigued uh, just for those who are new to the Gamers Lounge or uh, even that listener who is not new and actually gets that joke. A uh, couple of things I found that might just be good little trivia bits. Um, the first one is... Boop, 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 boop. How do I find this? Um, Gamers Lounge has been running... For quite some time. Episode 1 of the Gamers Lounge uh, was originally put out in February, uh, specifically February 21st of 2010. Moving on to look even deeper. It, uh, so what I've done is I've collected all of the uh, Gamers Lounge episodes, numbered episodes, special episodes, uh, tried to just grab everything I had done, the uh, uh, couple of the interviews here and there, some of the uh, No Gamer Left Behind, which, which were the book reviews. In fact, the only thing I didn't really include into the overall count, uh, you know what, I took that back. Um, I do have some of the designer corners in there as well. Uh, that I put out a way, a way is back. And uh, all told, it's about 184 different recordings. And it comes out to about 14 and a half days of audio. Um, yeah, I just kind of was poking around in my archives and uh, came across all those little tidbits. So, interesting, intriguing. Um Anyways, let's let's get on to why the listener, uh, why you, the listener, has actually uh, downloaded to listen. It wasn't for me to wax nostalgic. Um, this is episode one fifty five. In episode one fifty five, uh, I have Benjamin and a, a new player to our area, Lamont, who are joining me, and the three of us sit down to discuss the game Rising Sun. Um, yeah, I, you know, I know there's lots of reviews out there for it. Here's another review. I hope you have, uh, the opportunity to listen to it, have a different take on, uh, maybe what some of the other reviewers out there are saying. Um, I'm not shy at all about the fact this is probably one of my favorite games in my collection. It is rated very highly and I hope you enjoy the review. Hey guys! Hello! 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 <laughs> there you go. Say hello. So, um, yeah, there's going to be a whole intro before this that talks about the number 155. Holy crap! 155. Wow. Um, we have with me today, so your fearless uh, uh, host, uh, not only Bill, but we have Benjamin. Hello. Who people know? The listener has heard, and we have a newbie. Newbie, who are you? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just here. <laughs> <laughs> we have Lamont. 
Um, so my name is Newbie, and um, I'm like new to this. So careful, <laughs> careful. <laughs> mm. you, you go nicknaming yourself; uh, hey, it may hey, stick hey, with hey, you. Hey, hey, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna start getting emails saying, "We liked Newbie. When are you bringing him back on?" Mm. <laughs> so uh, a ways back in one of the earlier episodes, um, Lamont, you've never met Big J. Have you met Big J? I don't think so. So, Jay Powell, and they call him Big Jay for a reason. I think Jay is like 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, so, he's like two and a half Benjamins? <laughs> tall, and he's like a bill and a half to two bills wide. I mean, he's a... They also called him Wookie. They also... Big boy. He's a... Jay's a big boy. So, Jay was one of my, my original co-hosts. He was my original co-host. Not one of, but was the original co-host. Um, we started the Gamers Lounge together years ago, this podcast. And he decided to go back and get into, like we were playing 40K, then we played Malifaux. He decided to get back into um, uh, War Machine and Hordes and go back to being a pundit. Uh, press ganger. Press ganger, yeah. When they still had press gangers. So he wanted to do a segment where he introduced me to War Machine and Hordes, which is what got me into War Machine and Hordes and got me to buy the armies. And... Uh, he decided to call it the noob in the knob. <laughs> oh, that's great. So, so, so unfortunately, picking your own, I mean, this noob never really stuck with me. Nobody really followed that up in emails. However, knob <laughs> Different story. somehow stuck for a while. Yeah. So be careful when you uh, nickname yourself newbie. <laughs> Got it. So, Lamont, you, um, would you say in general you are new to gaming? Not mm. video gaming, but board and tabletop gaming? Well, as in about a year ago, yes. Yeah. Definitely. About a year ago. So, um, I don't remember if I talked about this on the podcast or not. Um, you have been mentioned, but mostly on the Guild Ball podcast as the new guy playing Guild Ball. So, uh, but yeah, so I mean, we were, uh, we were out at dinner. And uh, was prior to a Steamforge convention. It happened to be the Steamforge convention where they were releasing a new game a couple of years ago. And we were talking about board gaming. You asked why my wife and I were in town. And uh, you remember your... Uh, I was like, we're here for games. And you were like, oh, if only... Yeah. You happen to be in the Chicago area. So yep. I said, you know what? Let me take a trip out there and see what all this gaming thing but is about. But not just that. So... Because Benjamin will love this because he likes this other game. Lamont is sitting at dinner and actually says, you know, we're, we're talking, he's like, well, what kind of games? And I'm like, well, there's this sports football game that I go play. And, you know, uh, and he's like, well, I only really do video games. And it's been a long time since I did video games. I'm like, oh, well, video games, you must know about Dark Souls. Dark Souls has been out for a while. He's like, I think I've heard of that. He's like, you know, Bill. If only there was a game after my favorite video game. And I'm like, oh, what's that? And I'm thinking he's going to say, you know, Witcher or like Mario Brothers. Or he's like, you know, if only they made a board game around Resident Evil 2. <laughs> I was like, funny you say that. <laughs> <laughs> this year they are releasing Resident Evil 2 at this convention. So, but yeah, so you came out. Since then, you've moved across the country. Because well, you love gaming so much. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta go where the game is good. No, actually, I moved out of Chicago to Virginia for, you know, because of an opportunity. 
Thank you, Bill. I heard it was a really good opportunity. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank Apparently you. Apparently not good enough for him to side with me in Rising Sun, but... <laughs> thank you, Mr. Anderson. Um, so, uh, yeah, so basically, Bill, uh, you got you kind of got me hooked. Um, you kind of sold me on Gilball because, um, you know, huh? action, strategy, all rolled into one. And I don't know if Steamforge listens, but they should hear that. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> I should have them repeat it. <laughs> it, it, was, it, was, it was bucket loads of fun. Um, I'm still trying to get the nuances of it, but I mean, yeah. I guess that comes with practice. Um, it's a lot of fun. You can play it practically anywhere. Um, it's it's really good, and that's kind of what hooked me into the gaming. And then you introduced me to um, the Black Rose, and yeah, <laughs> and today um, Rising Sun. So yeah, and you yeah. played um, you played Star Trek at my I birthday. Played Star Trek, yep. So, so Star Trek um, Ascension. So I am definitely hooked. And Keyforge, Keyforge. Yep. Yeah, and I think somebody even gave you a Keyforge deck. I got two of them. There you go. Mm. There you go. You are way behind the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> so we're we're easing, a little time. we're easing Lamont into games slowly. Today, though, we're going to talk about um, so Lamont. I, I don't know if I mentioned to you. So on the podcast, on this recent iteration of the Gamers Lounge, we have been going through Bill's bookshelf. You know. That little tiny shelf that has the couple of games on it that I haven't, I wouldn't call it a collection, just the just, two or three games that I have. I say and one or two. Yeah, we've been reviewing them. So today we came upon the uh, Eric Lang gem, Rising Sun, and... Uh, Figured this is a good chance to jump in and, and talk about that. Now, as with any review, let's start out by uh, checking the Geek Board Game Geek and um, seeing what it has to say about Rising Sun. Um, I think you guys know, like Rising, Rising, Rising Sun is it won a bunch of awards this year. It's been a pretty popular game. Mm. Um, I, guess I, I, I should ask before checking before checking uh board game geek so Lamont you like specifically came over today and said I want to play the Asian game <laughs> I think my um, exact words were samurai game the samurai I game I couldn't remember the right. exact I couldn't remember the exact I want to play the samurai game what was it about rising sun the last time you were here that you saw because we didn't play it last time so what was it that that you were like I got to try that. Well, to be honest, it was mainly out of curiosity. Plus, I heard some good things about it from you, Ben. So I said, well, let me give it a try. And um, I wasn't disappointed. See that? Wow. Even when you're in your other place, uh-huh. you still said good things. Wow. At least Levant heard good things. <laughs> ignored what I said before. And- <laughs> <I> ignored you. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, so leading into this, Benjamin has not been a very big fan. He's been very mediocre. So, yeah. Before today, um, talk about the specifics of why it was earlier or uh, previous to this. But previous to this, I played... Rising Sun, it was two or three times. Can't say I particularly enjoyed either time. Um, but uh, but today was a very different experience than I had before, and I did end up uh, did end up seeing um, the fun that everybody's talking about. So. Spoilers. 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 <laughs> so Board Game Geek rates Rising Sun 8 out of 10. 8 out of 10 being uh, very good, enjoyed playing it, would suggest it to other people. 
What do you think about that? Let's see. Played it. Enjoy playing it. And would force everybody to would force. <laughs> wow, strong know, words. It was, okay, it was, so it, it's board, a really good game, at least to me. On the board game geek ratings, um, the next step up from that would be excellent, very much enjoyed playing. Uh, top rating of ten would be outstanding. Will always enjoy playing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, this is a nine for me. Now, I mean, no you know, spoilers towards the end, but this is a nine for me. Now I'm going to say this is my this is the very first time I ever played the game. Oh. Uh-huh. I agree with you. It is a nine. Okay. okay. I haven't I haven't played it enough to get more data, but I haven't played it the first time. It was a lot of fun. So that's actually a lot. And they they have a lot of ratings. There's over over eleven thousand ratings for this game to get it to an eight. Board Game Geek is traditionally um, stringent. I mean, they're they're pretty. I mean, they're they're critical of their games. So. Uh, the weight rating of a one to five, it's a three point two seven, which means it's on the heavier side. I kind of agree with that. It's it's past the midpoint, I think. On no, yeah, yeah. So I would say I would uh, I would agree with you. It's cer- certainly past the threshold of you saying you know it's a it's not something that I would I uh, you know show to my brother who's not into board games and say, hey, you know, you can easily get a hold of this, you know, it's not... You'll understand this in two turns, just fine. Yeah, it'd be more like people that I know who who play board games, you know, would get it, but definitely not like, I'd say, you know, in, in terms of complexity, yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree with that. A little more complex. Right. Yeah. So, um, 90 to 120 minutes playtime. We just played a three-player game in... Um, Way more than that. <laughs> uh, I honestly can't say I've ever seen this only be done in like two hours. It's like a two to three hour game. Yeah, certainly every me. other time I've played this, it's been long, way longer than the suggested time. Yeah. Um, I think the suggested time is just off. But I'll say this. For me, this doesn't feel long. This is one of those games that I sit down... And then without looking at the clock, I'd be like, okay, cool. Yeah, that was, well, great example, right? At the end of the game, Lamont's like, I'm ready to play again. And I was like, let's podcast. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, yes. So, I mean, even even taking more than the hour and a half to two hours, I think you've got to be pretty on the ball to get in that hour and a half to two hours. Yeah, I can certainly see with, I don't know. I'm kind of contradicting my thought here because I was going to say once everybody gets used to it. The thing is, the more that you get used to the rules, the more you get sunk into the strategy. Right. And being like, oh, if I do this, this player is going to benefit more than me, but I really want to do this and that. and then, So, yeah, I think it probably sticks around the same amount of time whether you know what you're doing or not because your, your focus is going to go more on the strategy side rather than what are the actual rules of the game, right. I guess. I mean, yeah, to get it down, I, I don't know. I... I think it's longer. I think it's probably a good three-hour game, mm. at least. And that's with everybody knowing what they're doing and being pretty efficient on aiming to play the game out. Oh, yeah, especially because the uh, game does involve a good amount of politicking, I would say. And a lot of that can be a big part <laughs> of eating up time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how does the game play? This goes right to that complexity thing, so let me start with... Yes, it is a dudes on the map game. And that is probably, I would argue, the smaller component of the game Mm. is the controlling territory with guys on the map. Now, 
I really like the models. I think for the the soldiers themselves, they could be swapped out with tokens, but I'm not sure I'd want to. Um, then there is this is a game where you can get big stompy monsters. And we played today with an expansion that added more stompy monsters. Um, so, you know, that's in there. This is a follow the lead, follow the active player's lead type of game. And what is that type of game? That means there is a set of actions that the active player can take. And for every one of those actions, when they take that action, every other player at the table will also be able to take the same action. So if I play a tile that moves my troops, Benjamin's going to be able to then move his troops. Lamont's going to be able to move his troops. And then we go to the next we next option. I said play a tile. That's important. Um, in this game, it there's going to be multiple phases. Uh, there's going to be a political mandate phase, which each of the political mandates are on a tile. There's going to be, and there's going to be, basically it's broken down into three Three mandates, two mandates, two mandates. There's going to be a prayer phase or a shrine phase where you get some blessings from the gods. And that's based on whoever has the most power in a shrine. Um, and there's only certain Shinto is a special type of model you can send up to the shrines. And that's going to happen in between each of those. It'll be three mandates, a prayer phase. Or a shrine phase. Two mandates, a shrine phase. Two mandates, a shrine phase. Then there's the last phase, which is the, the actual fighting war phase. And war happens a little differently than in other games, where there's going to be a specific set of provinces that are in conflict every turn. It's not necessarily based on where two or three or four, where multiple players are present. Because if multiple pro players are present in a province that wasn't one of the ones that's going to have conflict, then they all just look at each other, shake hands, have a tea ceremony, and move on. Right? Pretty much. Um, so at this point, everybody's like, I don't understand what's so complex. That seems a little confusing. It doesn't seem that tough. What's the problem? Mm. Well, there's no problems here. You're going to do that set of actions. Mandates, shrine, mandates, shrine, mandates, shrine, war. Three times. Spring, summer, fall. Easy. 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 <laughs> After the war phase, well, before the beginning of the mandate phase every time is the better way to say because you do do it on turn one. You have what's called a tea ceremony. And there's these little half a yin, either yin or yang, but they're half a yin-yang symbol uh, in your color. And they're all broken apart. And you agree with another player at the table or not to be in an alliance. And you push your little yin and yang together to make a full yin and yang that shows that you're in an alliance. All is good. All is happy. What's the benefit of being in an alliance? So, uh, benefit of being an alliance is whenever you take one of the actions during the tea ceremony, um, every during the mandate phase, the political the mandate, mandates, political mandate phase, which is right after uh, allies are declared. Um, whenever you take one of those actions, if you choose to take the action, you and your ally get kind of an upgraded version of that action, while everybody else around the table follows it for the normal action. So, it's it's nice to have allies, you know, because you kind of get these 
feels like you get more actions than normal uh, because uh, you're benefiting from when your allies choosing to take actions by, right. by their plus, upgraded actions. Plus, uh, things are a bit cheaper. Like, uh, if you want to buy a monster or if you want to do anything like that, you and can, that would be you one of the benefits. Less. That would be one of the benefits of the mandates, right, is they get cheaper. Um, and then the last, last, yeah, the last thing overall of the basics is there's an honor track. And every player, based on the clan that they choose, gets a starting honor. And the way that honor works is if there is ever a tie, if there's ever a point where a tie is achieved in any case, then, well, it's pretty simple. The person with the higher honor wins the tie. And there's always going to be an honor ranking. So it sounds like that isn't really, right? I mean, I explained this to you at the beginning of the game, Lamont, right? And at the beginning of the game, did you feel like honor was going to have a big impact to the game? In some instances, yeah. In others, not really. So, and Um, how did you find honor, how much of an impact did you find honor to have in the game? Well, for me, because because I was kind (laughs) of behind on the game, it would have helped me. Um, immensely because there was a couple of times I was tied and, you know, I could have got the territory, but of course I had the lower honor. So the territory went to either you or (laughs) Ben. Or or he of all the honor, Benjamin. (laughs) The most honorable of all men here. So, um, so yeah, it it, it depends on the situation. It could, it could be a benefit, you know, or it could be nothing. So there are things in the game, specifically creatures that you can get, that will benefit you for having the lowest honor in a situation. For the most part, a lot of the game is about forcing ties. And there's several places you didn't see the tie. So uh, we'll talk about those. But there's a lot of the game is about forcing ties. And then having the higher honor means you automatically win the tie. Mm. Um, So... We'll come back to that and keep touching on honor as we explain. So that's the game. Now, explaining how the rest of this comes out, there's sets of season cards, right? There are provinces on the board. There are um, your troops, and your troops are made up of three types, Shinto's, Bushi, and Daimyo. And... Trying to think of, oh, and then there's the shrines, mm-hmm. right? Lamont, explain what the, well, I guess, let's go about it this way. Let's start here. Benjamin, what are the mandates? What are the, what are the five actions? So we, we got five sort of simplish sounding actions. Uh, first one we have is, it's uh, gather, I believe is what it's called, right? Um Harvest. 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 Harvest, I'm sorry. Harvest, simply, you know, get you some money, and depending on if you took the action, all the territories that you have dominant power, you get the bonuses of those territories. So so everybody gets one coin for Harvest. Yes, everybody, everybody gets, gets one coin. And then... And then... If you uh, took it, or your, or your ally took if it. If your ally took it, you get the bonuses of all the territories that you have a dominant force, and so higher number of power... Which yes. could be getting Ronin tokens, could be money, could be uh, points. victory points, mm-hmm. could be... Uh, that's about it. Yeah, I think those are the only those three. So we got that. So it's kind of like your resource generator 
uh, tile ability that you can think of. Uh, we have another one, which is the um, the movement ability called Marshall. Marshall. So it's ba- the basic action is you can move all of your units on the board uh, one space over. Uh, it's the basic action. But you also, if you took the action or your ally took the action, you can spend money to put out another fortress, which... Um, Stronghold. Stronghold, Stronghold yeah. I'm sorry. Which is where you would, you would summon or recruit forces to. Yep, which goes into the next action, which is the recruit action. Ooh. Ooh, silky smooth. <laughs> <laughs> so, and the, that action is simply, if uh, the base part of the action is you put one, um, you bring out one unit onto the board um, on where each of your strongholds Per stronghold. Per stronghold. Um, but if you took the action, so the upgraded version of the action is you get one extra guy left over from that. So let's pause there. Hey, Lamont. When I take the recruit action, and my models, my units come out on the board, what could come out on the board at my like what 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 else can happen there? Well, you can uh, put one of uh, three on there. There's a uh, there's a uh, the so the daimyo, your leader, daimo, which yep. you, everybody has one of. You can put the Shinto on there. And what happens with the Shinto? Well, so let's come back to the Shinto, right? Daimyo and Bushi. Daimyo Bushi, and then so uh, what happens with them? They just come out at the stronghold, right? They just they just come out the stronghold. Um, the daimyo, uh, well, that being the piece that doesn't get influenced by anything, like um, like the traitor, or right? He can't be betrayed. He can't be taken hostage. Can't be taken hostage. None of that. Now at Shinto's, what happens when you bring a Shinto out? What do you, like you have some more choices there? Uh, an- another thing with a Shinto, if I they're the white base guys, right? If I remember the Shinto right, you can actually put them in a in a shrine where you can pray to the gods and you can get the benefits exactly from the gods blessing you. So, the basic rule in the game is that every model, unless rules say otherwise, is strength one or has the power of one force. Uh, so when you're Shinto, you have th- everybody has three Shinto, and when your Shinto go up to a shrine, and it comes to the shrine phase. There's four shrines, which we'll get to when we go through the rest of the mandates. There's four shrines, and whoever has the highest power in a single shrine gets the benefit of that shrine. And that's where your three Shinto come in. Okay, so we've gone through Harvest, Marshal, Recruit. Recruit. Uh, next action that we have is the, um, uh, the training action. Which is, there is, on the board, uh, besides the models that you have and the territories you have, there's also this whole card system out. With these cards, uh, with the training action, you can buy these cards. Um, the cards can include things that are um, upgrades to your... Um, to, to you. Your, to you, uh, your units, things like that. You have um, some things which... Uh, we'll score you victory points and stuff like that. Um, and then also you have um, monsters and oh monsters boy. and <laughs> monsters. You get things like Oni. You get like Kitsune. You get um, dragons. Dragons. You get Godzilla. 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 <laughs> oh boy. Non-IP a, infringing Godzilla. Non-IP, yeah, I know. <laughs> yep. Called him some other name. Don't know what it was. Um, hmm. So that's uh, that's another hmm. huge. Um, uh, component to the game. I guess one thing to go over quickly first is that if you um, the base action of that training action is you get to buy a card, but if you um, took the action or your ally took the action, you get to buy stuff at one less. Right. 
which um, which can really help you on a money advantage sort of thing. It can. It can. So that's four. God, oh. there's one more. So here's the key. All four of those work the same way. Every You get an action. Everybody else gets to follow your action. Then there's a bonus action if you're for you if you're the one that plays the mandate or if you're allied with the person that played the mandate. Then there's the fifth mandate. <laughs> oh, the fun one. So we got... Um, all- I mean, you played it the most, so you should have the right of <laughs> the right describing idea. it. So so there is another action. Well, it's kind of a selfish action. It's betrayal. <laughs> oh, boy. So it's, yeah. it's the only action out of all the cards that when you play it, you're the only one who takes the action, the only one who benefits from it. And what betrayal does is that you pick um, two models on the board controlled by different players. You take those models off, and you put your own models... In, in their those, place. In their place instead. Now, the key is it has to be like for like. Mm-hmm. And Daimyo are immune to the betray action. They cannot be targeted. Which means that if there is a monster on the board, mm-hmm. and you have a monster not currently on the board, you could replace that monster with a monster. Mm-hmm. But you can't replace the monster with a Shinto or with a Bushi or things like that. Yeah, but um, there is one catch, though. Um, as you might suspect, betrayal is not the most honorable action somebody can take. So if you're an alliance, uh, you actually end up losing honor for betraying. You, yep, you break your alliance and lose honor. Mm. Even if, in let's say the game has more than three people. Let's say four or five people are playing. Even if you did not target your ally as one of the replacements, it still breaks the alliance. I mean, everybody at the table heard it that you're, uh, you know, betraying a betrayer, uh, <laughs> a dirty, dirty betrayer. Oh boy! Somehow I was still the most honorable, even though I betrayed the most times out of everybody. Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> oh the system's rigged. So yeah. So shrines. How do the shrines work? Like, what are the types of things? During each of the Shrine phases, Lamont, what are the types of things we were able to do in our game? Okay, um, I don't remember all of the Shrines, but... Um, we'll fill it. <laughs> okay, please do, because I'm uh, <laughs> I probably remember a couple of them. Um, one of the Shrines gave you a bunch of coins. Uh, yep. but that That is extremely beneficial when it comes to uh, battlefield, or like warfare, like in the battle phase. Um, it allows you to buy things that, that will actually... Um, put more money on different things so you can we'll get to how battle works yeah but one one of the shrines will give you money that was one that wasn't in our game um one of the other ones uh oh god forgive me my memory's not there so we we had so shrines get resolved in order they get resolved left to right of the four um which which becomes important in certain situations mm. because some of the shrines will actually feed others. For example, our last shrine, our fourth shrine that got resolved last, raised your honor. I've played games where that shrine was first. And suddenly you can balance things a lot different if you own the one that's going to raise your honor. And then you know you're going to tie the other shrines. So those places where ties just, come in. I just remember the other one. Um, there was another shrine where you can actually get Ronin. And that's yep. that is benef- that is definitely beneficial. Uh, depending on where you want to try to take over, that can be a benefit as well. Right. So. so there was a shrine that took Ronan. There was a shrine that gave you one of the season cards. Very strong. 
which was very strong. I actually played to that one heavily in this game. Um, there was a shrine that gave you a victory point per stronghold on the board. I abused the heck out of that shrine, I'll tell you, you that know, much. And you say abused. <laughs> like, it seems so simple. Okay, great. So when we have a shrine phase, you're going to get a point for everyone that's on the board. Ooh, so you, you can get up to four points. Except that then you got to remember, every every set of seasons, there's three shrine phases. Mm-hmm. And there's three seasons, and if you can take that early and then hold it through the game, you're just building points. Oh, it gets gross. <laughs> so it can get pretty silly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's also a one of the shrines out there. So you only put four out, but there's more than four, so you can randomize up. Uh, one of the shrines out there will actually just give you an extra bushy anywhere on the board, not at a stronghold. Like, it doesn't have to go to a stronghold. It can. Uh, one of the other ones, which I've always found powerful, is it lets you take an extra movement action. Now, it's only one model, but it's an extra movement action for one model. Mm-hmm. Um, so, now, there is an expansion that I have not played with yet. There's a lot of expansions for this game, like any cool mini or not game. Um, sorry, I'm not sure I mentioned that it was a cool mini or not game. Eric Lang, cool mini or not. But one of the expansions actually lets those gods come down to the board as pieces, uh, as models. Um, I haven't tried that one yet, so I don't know how it impacts the game overall. I do know it adds some additional abilities. So we've gone through all of our mandates. We've cycled around the board. Oh, we should talk about when it comes to your turn, you pick four mandates off the top of the stack. Pick one and put the other three back. So there is an aspect of seeing what options you're giving your opponents as well as having a little inconsistency of that one blind mandate that's coming up. But it does get kind of amusing when you're playing a three-player game. You draw four mandates off the top, play one, and the same three you put back come right back to you three (laughs) turns later. Oh, yeah. So, okay, so we've gone through all that, and we've finished our mandates, we've finished all our shrine phases, we got dudes on the board, we got some cards in our hand, we got some monsters on the board, and we're going to war. Oh, yeah. (laughs) How's the war phase work? War phase is interesting. So what it is, is um, at the very start of the season, there will be a certain number of, depending on the amount of players you're playing at, a certain number of territory tiles that get flipped up. And the key there is you know it at the start of the season. Mm -hmm. So you can plan for it. Um, And these territory tiles are the tiles that you are fighting over. So you know that you want to concentrate your models there to try to fight and win or be involved in the conflict in these um, because... War is not very straightforward in this game. Winners are not necessarily the people who take the territories. There's... No! No, I, I'd, I'd have to say that I didn't win very much, but I won very much. <laughs> <laughs> but you won the game. Yes, I did. So, and this is sort of where I go to, I, I try to caution people. I think I caution you going into the game. It looks like a battle game. It looks like a territory control game. But that isn't necessarily the most important part of the game. Did that advice hold true in your experience, Lamont? Yes, it did. I mean, yes, the battle phase is... 
kind of a kind of an important piece, but it's really not. It, it depends on it depends on what you accumulated, um, how you have your have how you have your uh, people set out, where they're, what territory they're in, things like that. Um, uh, what gods do they pray to to get the blessings? Yep, all of that takes into account, not necessarily what territories you take over. So now I will say I have played in the past, and I think I've played the most. Well, I know I've played the most out of the three of us. I have played a scenario where I was all about the fighting. I was all about the fighting, and that was what I was going for. Um, so you can win that way, mm-hmm. but you have to kind of commit, f- commit, and focus on a strategy. Um, so we know which provinces. We know there's an order. And the order is important. Let's talk about why the order is important. Mm. So you're probably going to have, you're definitely going to have two things going into combat. You're going to have a stack of zero to many Ronin on the board. You're going to have a stack of zero to much money. Mm-hmm. Both are open information. You're going to, everybody gets this, a tile. And everybody gets a screen. The screen tells you about your clan, and it stands up. Normally, at this point, you haven't had it standing up because everything else has been open knowledge. And the tile, up until now, we've had on one side that tells us what the mandates do, so everybody has a quick reference on the on the five mandates. We're now going to flip that over, and we're going to have the battle phase, which goes left to right in order. The order is important, and it has four steps. Step number one is a little box called seppuku. <laughs> what does seppuku do, Lamont? Well, I mean, as everyone knows, this is basically a Japanese term where, you know, samurai or whoever just kind of killed themselves to preserve honor, I guess. Yep. You know, I, I'm so, not an expert on Japanese uh, culture, so please. Just, so in this case, seppuku. <laughs> that's what it is in this game. Your, your army but in it, a conflict commits seppuku, you get an honor for everybody that died and a victory point for everybody that died. Yeah, so that, so... For everybody that committed seppuku. So in in, in, in instances like that, it is definitely a benefit to do that. Plus, you can... Well, you're going to get to the last part of it where you actually write poetry about who died. So that combination makes it powerful. You're already jumping ahead. But I love the fact that... I'm I'm sorry I'm jumping ahead, but... (laughs) I love the fact that when we started the game and we get with the same explanation... Uh-huh. And I said, you commit seppuku, Lamont goes, all you guys died? That's got to put you at a huge disadvantage. Why would you ever do that? <laughs> yes, now, now as, I, as we played the game, I saw the answer to that. Right. So, so, so seppuku is the first step. The second step is uh, take hostages, where literally you can kidnap somebody who's not a daimyo from the other side and or from one of your opponents, because you could have multiple people in a combat. The third is higher Ronin, which is a little, I, I, first time I saw it, it's a little bit of a misnomer. Hiring Ronin means you're actually bringing your Ronin that you've already accumulated during the turn into the battle. You're not hiring new Ronin to bring to bear, right? Right. Then at that point, we add up the force in the battle of everybody that's in the battle and the person who has the highest force. Wins the battle. Everybody else dies. Just dead. Dead, dead, dead. Dead, 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 dead. Oh, yeah. Lots of bodies. And then we have a fourth phase. 
which is, as Lamont so nicely put it, write poems about the dead people. (laughs) So, how does it work? Like, the three of us are in combat. If I'm going to set the stage, right? The three of us are all in the same province. That province is a conflict province. Benjamin has three force in the province, three models, each one force each. I have two models, one force each. And Lamont has one model, one force. And I have the highest honor. Lamont has the second highest honor. Benjamin has the lowest honor. What happens? So... The interesting thing about this is before we go through any of those actions that we did before, everybody, like Bill says, has a screen, and they have a little mat with all their actions they can take. You hide the screen. Everybody you hide the mat. Yeah, everybody says, I have this much money, and Ronin and all that, and then we flip up the screens. And what will happen is that you will bet money, a certain amount of money on each of those actions, um, and once everybody has decided how much money they want to spend on those actions... We all go ahead and flip down the screens and reveal. Right. And what we're looking to do is you're looking to win those actions. Whoever wins those actions can take that specific action. May May take that specific action. May take that specific action. So there's a lot of depth here because we're blind bidding with the money we have. We're trying to gauge what the other people are going to do. Everything's going to resolve in order. So... Then we're going to determine who won the battle. So in this case, anybody, you know, for example, in the scenario I laid out, I might be looking at this and I'm going to put the majority of my money on Seppuku. Because I really don't care about winning the battle, Mm -hmm. but I want a bunch of points. So I have the most people in the battle and I'm going to, and let's say I get the most money in Seppuku, my guys all kill themselves. For one, they commit seppuku, which gives me a victory point per guy and an honor per guy. So suddenly I become, I was already the most honorable. I stay the most honorable, right? But it also means that I'm not involved in the fight at this point. So now it just devolved. I was there. I was part of the fight, but the actual fighting part is going to happen between Lamont and Benjamin. Mm -hmm. Now, Benjamin... In in some of the areas, right, and this is where, Lamont, you were like, ah, it's kind of a disadvantage, but I just got a bunch of victory points. And weirdly, I'm still part of the battle, which is going to be important at the end. And, right, I might want to stop somebody else from doing it. Mm. So you might bid the most because you don't want somebody to take themselves out of the battle and still be counted as part of it. Um, we go to take hostage. Whoever has the most and take hostage. Keeping in mind, you cannot kidnap or take hostage daimyo, which we ran into multiple times because I had daimyos who were taking hostages all over the place because they couldn't be touched. <laughs> oh, yeah. So you might put money in to block somebody from taking, but the daimyo is like, I'm going to kidnap somebody. And amusingly, only daimyos are immune to kidnapping, which means you can <laughs> you can sock to the side of the head Godzilla, <laughs> duct tape him to a chair. Bag him and tag him. <laughs> bring him on home. 
So, um, I mean, so we had situations where, you know, I'm trying to remember. I guess in this game, I never really kidnapped a monster, but I have kidnapped monsters before. Yeah, because I know I'm, I I made sure that you could never catch oh, one I of my did. guys. I did. I uh, I kidnapped your phoenix in this game. I would, oh, yes. Somebody did get kidnapped. I don't think it was yeah. the phoenix. I think it was the other one. No, no. I hostaged your phoenix so you couldn't... Uh, so you couldn't have her on the board at the end of the game. Yeah. yeah. At the yeah, end of the round. That. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, so you can kidnap monsters as long as they're not a daimyo. Um, so basically you go through, also by taking hostages at that point, you're removing that strength from the game. So let's say there's a dragon out there who's strength five or Godzilla who's strength five and they get sock puppeted and kidnapped. Bagged and tagged, as uh, as Benjamin put it. <laughs> Suddenly, you just lost five strength in that battle, which is a big hit. So then Ronan get brought in, and Benjamin had a ton of Ronan in his game, but it's because of his special rules. Mm-hmm. So the Ronan get brought in, you add up all the strength, and then everybody else dies. And then you write songs about the dead, and you get a point for everybody who died. Mm. Um, the other place that's interesting is where we talk about ties. Let's say we all bid two. In the original scenario I laid out, we all bid two coins on seppuku. I want to seppuku. Both of you are like, I think Bill's only going to put two coins on this and we want to stop him. Because I have the highest honor, that's a tie. I win that tie. So that's where... When we talked about uh, the the sun Cl- uh, the uh, the sun clan, mm-hmm. they like they a lot of times want to get in battle and just force ties across the whole battle because oh, yeah. there is a clan who gets victory points from ties and gets money from ties and battle is awesome for them because they just force <laughs> ties like it's oh, a guessing yeah. game but you try to force ties and you can come out of a battle with four victory points without actually doing anything mm-hmm. losing the whole thing basically right. but kind of in a sense winning the whole thing. So, Lamont, this is a question for you because you mentioned it. You saw, you thought originally Seppuku would be putting somebody at a disadvantage. You mention that you now see sort of how battle works and there's advantage or disadvantage. What are, what are your thoughts about battle now? Like, when would losing a battle be a benefit? Well, losing a battle will be a benefit, um, as you pointed out, from... Um doing seppuku and writing the poetry about it. Um, or, or I believe, well, see the other, the only other benefit I can think of to losing a battle is, uh, if it'll be a disadvantage and this, this is going to sound kind of weird, but I've, I've seen it in this game that it'll be a disadvantage for someone to take the territory it would be more disadvantageous to them to take the territory than it would be for you to lose it. Okay. So, I mean, that, that sounds kind of weird, but I, I think I've seen an instance of that so, in this game. So the way the territories work, you end up getting, like, during spring, the territories that are fought over are worth one. During summer, they're worth two points. Each territory, during winter, they're worth three. Or during uh, autumn, they're worth three. However, at the very end of the game, if you have collected three to four different territory tiles you get 10 bonus points if you've collected five to seven i think it's five to seven 
It's either five to six or five to I seven. Think it's five to six because there's five seven to six. Territories, yeah. Think. So, yeah, it's uh, you get there's eight. eight or there's eight. Yeah. So maybe it's... Well, no, no, there's seven. No, you're right. There's seven because it plays up to five players, and it's plus two. So there's seven territories. But yeah, so if it's five to six territories, you get 20 extra points, 20 bonus points. And if you have eight or more, it's 30 extra bonus points. But there isn't that many movement things in the game often. So fighting for territories, it's actually like we saw it today. It's not that easy... To get a variety of territories in this game, even though the map doesn't look that big. Yeah, because certainly for you, that was kind of a huge swing at the end was um, you had won significantly more conflicts than I had, but you had been winning the same same territories over and over. So it um, really kind of... Tied in at the end where if only Bill could have gotten more different types of territories, it would have been a very different well, end of the game. One, had I just won one other territory. One other territory. <laughs> so, I mean, literally, I lost I lost the game over that one other territory. Oh, yeah. Um, so, there are people, our friend Josh, who would say that there is one other part of combat that we've now not covered that we need to because it's the most important part of the combat. So we described to you how combat goes. Now, at the very end, everybody who loses takes their money and gives it to the bank. Everybody who lost. However, the winner owes war reparations, which means they take all of all of the money they spent on combat and divides it equally among their opponents. Mm. This is important. And our friend Josh would say it's the most important because combats happen, like everything else in this game, in a specific prescribed order. So, when would it make sense to lose a combat? A great time to lose a combat, and use one good example, is our la- our final combats. Lamont and I had three combats in a row. So the first combat, I bid... Two coins. Won my seppuku and died. And you spent eight coins. And you won. You you won the take hostage, except there was nobody there to take a hostage with Godzilla. <laughs> you won singing or writing poetry. So Godzilla wrote an amazing poem about my bushi who died. <laughs> I really want to have a head cannon of Godzilla (laughs) writing the poetry. It was was touching. It was very touching. And then all eight coins, because you spent all your money on that one battle, and you ended up having to give all those eight coins to me as the only person, the only opponent in the battle. Suddenly we go in to fight our second battle. And I'm at a huge disadvantage. And you're at zero money, Mm -hmm. and I'm at 14. So, and um, I bought my way into that. And really, I bought my way in only having, because of the way a couple of things worked out, only having used one coin to write songs because I was already winning that battle. I gave you the one coin, and then the battle that actually could have swung one way or the other, I just bought my way through. Right. So uh, one of the things uh, with the Godzilla, so Godzilla is one of the most 
powerful monsters on there. I mean, it has five Ooh, straight points, five. Oh, and yeah. it could actually um, it could actually eat up strongholds. So basically, you can just move Godzilla wherever and take over a territory. The only problem is, the only caveat to that to that is, is uh, Godzilla can be bagged and tagged. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I was more worried about Godzilla being bagged and tagged. Yep. Which is why I put all my coins on that, which was probably a bad strategy. What, what no, actually, it was. It was a, I think it was a perfectly good strategy. Mm. But um, it kind of worked against me. Because right. once I did that, you had your coin spread everywhere else. You won. So if you remember, <laughs> I'm sorry, on you, that you battle, won. I only spent you, three coins. or two. Right. I, only, I only spent, no, I, yeah, I only spent, spent three you coins. You spent three coins. But you got all of my coins. Right. <laughs> so mm. that was kind of... And I had more coins than you, so it was in a situation where you had to spend heavy. That was, that was the other thing. Right. Like, the right. first battle in that round was Benjamin and I. And I was able to manipulate through other abilities that battle. Or even losing. I knew I couldn't outbuy Benjamin, but I didn't have to spend heavy into that battle. Because Benjamin couldn't afford... If I spent heavy enough, I could have won the battle. Mm. And Benjamin couldn't afford me winning that battle. So I had to throw everything so he I threw, had. Right. He had, to, he had to make sure that he outbought me in at least two places that were dangerous for me to go. Even though I'm in a position where I only had to buy into one of them. And if I don't buy into one of them, I'm fine. So ben, it was the only battle Benjamin had. He couldn't risk it. But suddenly that made me flush with cash. Because so <laughs> he had to outspend me twice on the off risk I tried to super spend in one or the other area. Mm-hmm. Which suddenly that put me up. I I barely spend against you, and then I got all the money in the in the battle. And then I go on to win the next three battles. Right, so, it was, um, so I guess it was kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't type of situation for me. Um, which I, is... I was, I was thinking about taking the other territory where um, it, was a lot of, it was a lot more activity. Yep. But again... Same thing. Damn if I do, damn if I don't. So right, right. Either way it goes, I was kind of, I was kind of, <laughs> you know, backed against the wall. For me, though, that's the real draw of this game in this phase. Like, there's a draw in multiple phases for me in Rising Sun, but in that battle phase, it's absolutely the bluff, counter bluff, figure out what your opponent's going to spend on, what can you afford, what do you have to buy into or not buy into. Um, one of one of our other friends has repeatedly played a faction that uh, so one of the one of the factions in this game is called the, it's the Fox faction Fox clan Fox yeah it's Fox yeah it's yep. uh, Fox and the Fox clan at the beginning of every when the when the war phase starts anywhere they're not present they get to put one troop one bushi a lot of times what they'll do is they'll just put one bushi he will just put one bushi into the combat in seppuku because he's just doing it to get points, and he loves being in multi-round combats. Because if he gets into the multi-round combat, he's always getting money to fund his other combats. He's always getting points. So a lot of times you want to stop him from seppukuing, even if you are not going to seppuku. Because you want to win the battle, or you want to take a hostage. or you want. So it's like, crap, well, how much is he going to buy? How much is he, like, what is he paying in? What do I have to overbuy him with? Well, that just limited me on these other areas. What if he doesn't, like, he doesn't, there's a lot of that going on. And the way he plays the Fox Clan is very much a, a spoiler. He plays them sort of spoiling other people's combats. Oh, yeah. He's, he's only trying to win one or two. But he wants to be involved in all of them. 
Yeah, he's he's the kind of guy that if if you remember back in school where everybody has a group project and he's the one guy that didn't do anything but right. he still gets the A at the end in three projects. Oh yeah, <laughs> nobody likes that guy. No, none of us like that guy when he plays in a. Well, that's not true. Josh, Josh is a good guy. None of us like him when he plays Rising Sun. Uh, he's vicious. <laughs> that's not the only plan he plays, but yeah, I mean, so it, but but that is a tactic for that. So, so you go through all that, you add up points at the end, and the most victory points wins. Mm-hmm. Simple, yeah. right? Simple. <laughs> yeah, really simple. ABC. What are some of the highlights we should talk about in this? Um, clans. Hmm. So each of the clans has a special ability. The clans we had today were Lotus, Turtle, and you were Lotus, right? I was a uh, Koi. Koi. Koi, Turtle, and I don't remember what I was. You were the... Crap. The yellow. Yellow one. What was that? It's not Bonsai. I think... Was it Lotus? I think it was Lotus. Hmm. <clears throat> well, regardless... Uh, they're all, yeah, they're all different colors. Yeah. I, I really, I, I can't remember. They, they're the money. I, I was in the, I say the money. I was in the purchasing clan. Yeah. So the clan that I played, which is yellow in color, has a, so the special rule for my clan was anytime they bought something, it cost one coin before discounts, never more than one. And then discounts will make it zero. Oh, boy, that is... It's a real strong power, I can tell you that much. I actually think they're all pretty strong. But it's certainly a power that is not as good early game. It's something that ramps up to be really strong in late game once everything starts getting really expensive. I mean, Godzilla costs six straight up, five if you get him for the uh, discount. Uh, If I buy him, he's one, (laughs) and free with the discount. So gross. (laughs) So... Um, so I and I actually made a strategy in this game to go play to the cards. So I was playing to the season cards and trying to collect as many of them as possible, which gave me a lot of creatures on the board. I had a dragon, I had a couple of oni, I had stuff. Uh, the girl from the ring. Um, <laughs> so and that was my strategy. I also had cl- cards that gave me extra bonus victory points at the end of the game uh, that made things stronger. That let me take multiple hostages. Like I had a lot of a lot of variety in cards. Mm. Um, so that was the clan that I was playing. Lamont, what clan were you playing? I was playing the turtles. And so what's what's they, the turtles? Basically, uh, one of the special things that I found beneficial was that um, they got strongholds that I, that can actually move from territory to territory. Everyone else's strongholds are stationary, but I can go I can go from yep. one territory to another, and I could potentially. Um, deploy guys in those different territories. And I don't think anybody who's ever seen this game can argue that the Turtle Clan has the coolest strongholds. Because they are literally... So everybody gets these sort of Japanese... Are they... Pagodas. Pagodas. And the Turtle Clan gets a pagoda on top of a giant turtle. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) Just as great as it sounds. Now, those are the... Now, technically, those are the Kickstarter components. But if you don't have the Kickstarter components or have bought these extra components... Like, I got them in the Kickstarter, but you can buy all these components. You should. This is a game that you should buy the expansions for. Hmm. Because I think they're 
beautiful. Right? They did a really good job. So so that was Turtle. Um, so, did you have a what strategy? Like, did you have a strategy tied to being Turtle? Uh, basically, um, after you told me that I have one of when I read the thing and you said, well, you can move your strongholds anywhere. Yep. I said, hmm, okay, so I can move from here, here, here. But again, this was at the beginning of the game. I wasn't sure yeah. how to play it, but I, that was one of the things I thought about. I had to change it later on, obviously. But, uh, yeah, that, I mean, I kind of saw that as a benefit. Um, I, I originally chose the group. See, when I'm new to a game, I just kind of choose a group by random or by aesthetics. And I thought this was the coolest looking yeah. group. You know, the guys on there and then the turtles with the <laughs> with the houses on them. I thought that was pretty cool. So I, I just chose that one. But, you know, without reading and, you know, knowing what the benefits yeah. were, when I read that, I was like, okay, that's extra cool. So, so the I can move around and I can deploy troops wherever I want to. And one of the cool things is, so I was saying before, daimyos cannot be betrayed. Uh, they're only force one, but they can't be betrayed. They can't be taken hostage. Well, the Turtle Clan strongholds also fight. So they also count as strength one, cannot be betrayed because they're not a troop, cannot be taken hostage because they're a stronghold, not a troop. In fact, the only thing that removes that strength from the board is Godzilla. Godzilla. <laughs> which is which is uh which is one of the reasons why I bought I spent all that money, money. to buy Godzilla because I knew if one of you all got it, I was <laughs> that, that, No, that let me just point out though, we're mentioning Godzilla a lot. Godzilla's actually an expansion. So he's not in he's not necessarily gonna be in every game unless you want him to be. So so Benjamin, which clan did you play? So I played the Koi uh faction, you know, um they're really fun and interesting because, well, they are all about the money, and that is very much a faction I like, is is money factions. So why do you say that? How so, do, what's their special ability? So their special ability is, so one thing that we touched over is that in the game you can get um, Ronin, which are these kind of generic soldiers that you have a chance to add into battle. Well, for the Koi, uh, at the beginning of the battle phase, they turn all their Ronin into money. And then whenever you buy Ronin, instead you can substitute your money for Ronin tokens. So money is literally power. With right. Them. Money that's not already bid into the battle. Correct. So forgot to mention that. But yeah. they are, the more money you get, the scarier you are in combat, which is really, really an interesting aspect to uh, play, uh, make like a economy your big thing to build around. Um more so than other players. And, and it's what's interesting on that is it's very, it fluctuates. And I'll kind of come back to this when we talk about uh, money going into, money and Ronan being used for Fox. Uh, but yeah, so Koi's money and power is going to fluctuate because the more money they spend to win a specific area of a battle, the less Ronan they have to bring to bear mm. later on. The more often they win fights, the less power they have to bring to leverage elsewhere. Yeah, so their whole shtick is really they, they want to win very specific combats. They're not a faction that's looking to build or to win like all the combats right. on the board. It's like you pick your one or your two and you'll undoubtedly win it with just the amount of stuff you can throw at the wall um, if you're able to get kind of their economy going. But then after that, you're you're really drained for the rest of the combats. And we talked about this a little bit during the game, which is Koi is very good at 
I'm going to fight like like in our last battle. Benjamin's going to absolutely win the battle against me. He's going to buy his way out. He has more power to bring to bear the whole bit. And he's going to win that first battle against me. But then he has fed me so much money that he then seeds chaos going forward. And that becomes even more important if you, as Koi, only need to win two battles, but they're with two of your opponents. Mm-hmm. Because literally you just spread that money out and suddenly people, like the power in combat has swung based on you winning your combats. Oh, yeah. So it's um, it's kind of an interesting thing. Uh, the clans that we didn't say, Fox is a big one. Fox that we were talking about before. Uh, Fox, at the beginning of every battle, when Koi exchanges all their running for money, Fox looks at the board and anywhere they don't have somebody, they put a troop, put a Bushi. Bushi just comes out and goes to the board. Now, this is kind of interesting because I've often seen, because they can go into many anywhere... They'll go into a battle area, and I'll see, I've seen a Fox player collect a ton of Ronin. So they'll get Ronin and money. They only need one person in the combat, but they'll have nine Ronin. So if they can win the Ronin battle, they can actually win a battle that they weren't even in at the beginning of the war. Right? When it comes to that battle, like, mm-hmm. they're like, oh, nobody's there? I now have one Bushi there, and I pay to bring nine Ronin to bear. I have ten power here. And it's very, you know, so they get they get a really weird sort of benefit on doing their combats. Um, there is the Birdmen, who I cannot remember. Cranny. Dragonfly? Dragonfly. Dragonfly. Yeah, Dragonfly. Dragonfly. Uh, they're light blue. Dragonfly can deploy their troops anywhere. And when they move, they can move anywhere. Anywhere. Mm. <laughs> like, they, they don't go adjacent. They don't follow trade routes. They just jump around the board. They're highly mobile. Um, and then the last clan, which is probably Lotus. Lotus or Bonsai. I might have been Bonsai. I think you were, because you were green, right? Or no, you were. No, he was green. I was yellow. Green is turtle. So the last troops, um, who are orange is fox, purple. Because you were red, he was green, I was yellow. I don't know. The last set of troops, uh, the last clan, um, either Bonsai or Lotus, what they are able to do is when they put down a political mandate, they actually, it's wild. They place it down face down, and then they tell you what they want it to be. Mm. This has some real interesting ramifications on the game. They can bury tiles. So if they don't want anybody to train and get extra season cards, they can put a train down, upside down, and call it a betray. It also means that they could do an action that typically is only can be done. All the actions have two mandates, so usually they can only be done twice. It means they can actually do it three or four times. So it's kind of interesting to see how that works. Um, and they have a lot of flexibility on what they do. They are in high demand for allying with. Because they basically get to pick any mandate they want when they want it, when they go. I'd have to say so. Yeah. So so those are those are the clans. Uh, monsters. So there's your basic set of monsters. There's a bunch of Oni. There's a big dragon. There's the ring girl. 
And there's a Shinto dog. Yes. There's a there's a yeah, a foo dog who who <laughs> counts as a Shinto. Um Benjamin, you've seen a lot of them before. You only saw a couple of this this game, Lamont. What do you guys think of the monsters? So the monsters are interesting because not all of them are necessarily big combat guys. Certainly a lot of them are, like the Oni, all about, you know, winning combat and be. stuff. Uh so they all can participate in combat, but a lot of them, or a good number of them, their focus is actually not combat. For example, we'll take the dog that you just mentioned. So the dog, you can deploy him just like a soldier. He can, you know, be in combat just like a soldier. But the whole big benefit of him is he can actually pray at shrines just like a Shinto priest can. Right. So a lot of these monsters can add a lot of interesting... Um, Sort of flexibility. To- the ring girl counts as a daimyo. Mm-hmm. So I have a monster on the board who she's strength two as a base, so she's stronger and cannot be or, uh, betrayed or um, hostaged. And also benefits from every single daimyo and, upgrade card that right, you've gotten and as well. Uh, right. This is uh, one um, um, piece that I particularly remember that kind of worked against Godzilla. Um, it'll been benefit like if I couldn't get Godzilla, that probably would have been the next piece I would have had to go for. Um, and that's the one that I forget the name of the piece, but you put it on the board and Godzilla can't go anywhere near there. The what I put him out last, which is one of the Oni, the Oni of Plagues. Right. The Oni of Plagues says anybody who's outside of this or any opponent who's outside of this area isn't allowed to come into this area. Right. That's that's the one I would have had to go right. for next. So I so. did that actually to to protect one of my provinces. Is I bought him, summoned him, and put him in a province alone where he just stood there. He was only strength one, but he had the plague, so nobody was going to come near him, including Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Um, the Phoenix was... A piece that I used uh, quite a bit. So uh, there was actually two of the pieces I got were actually their benefits were them dying, right. which was really interesting. So the piece that Bill mentioned first, the Phoenix, was super interesting because what it was was the Phoenix, whenever it died, I got a honor. Um, but it also would immediately an honor and a victory point, a uh, or yes, an honor and victory point, and would immediately redeploy in the space that it died in. So, for example, right. when we're thinking about how combat works, a lot of times what I do is I'd win seppuku, I'd kill her right off. But hey, she immediately comes back into combat, and I still win the combat because she's still because she comes back, she's still. Uh, Benefiting towards my combat total. Well, what's even crazier than that is something I had thought about. So you put the Phoenix into a combat alone, right? Mm-hmm. And you put all your money on seppuku and poetry. Oh, yeah. So she commits seppuku, dies. Because she died, you get an honor. And I... No, I'm sorry. All she gave you was victory points. Yeah, because so when she died, right? When she died, she gives you a victory point because you committed seppuku with her. You get a victory point and an honor. So there's two victory points, and then she comes right back. Then she stands there in the battle, loses the battle, and dies. You get a third victory point and comes right back. Mm -hmm. And then you write poems. She has died twice, so you get two points for her. Oh yeah. Huh, yeah. So that's she's worth that's a, five points in a, in a losing conflict. battle. Yeah. And I imagine you can probably spin that sort of way that uh, you didn't spend too much money into it either. Right. 
Uh, depending on... Or, yeah, depending. But <laughs> you could throw her into a combat that two other players are really yeah. fighting over, and you're just like, I'm just here for the... I'm out! <laughs> I'm just here for the scenery, don't mind me. <laughs> so, um, that was really interesting. Now, some of these we're talking about. Godzilla. Um, I had a dragon who was kind of cool. He was strength three. But he, the earth dragon, he actually pushes pushes a model... Any kind of model, a model of each of your opponents that's in a combat out of the combat. Mm. So there was a battle at one point where there was Benjamin's Oni who says she dies and gives money, steals money. There was my dragon. There's Benjamin's Phoenix. There was Lamont's Oni of I'm almost the strongest when I'm the least honorable. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's an interesting thing we'll come back to on the Oni. And then there was like a couple of other troops in there. And the first thing I did went, Lamont's guy, you go away. You're not in the combat anymore. Right? <laughs> Benjamin, I don't want to deal with the Phoenix. You go away. Yeah. <laughs> Push them somewhere that we're not going to fight. Now let's just have a fight with what's left. Uh-huh. So, Oni. What did you guys think about the Oni with all the rules? Each of the Oni has a rule that talks about if you have the least honor in an area. So, yeah, unfortunately, in this game in particular, they didn't come up too often. The times that they did come up was very end of the game. Uh, the Oni of Plagues was only players who have higher honor than you can, can't come in. Can't right. come in, and Bill, uh, at the end of the game, was the most dishonorable. So, basically just said, hey, nobody can enter my house, you know. <laughs> you don't really want to come here. <laughs> no. But, um, yeah, and then a bunch of the other Oni would say, like, they have a base combat strength of this, but if you're the most dishonorable person, it goes up to this. Like how he says the most dishonorable. Like, what it actually says is, if you have the least honor in the area, but... Benjamin makes it being dishonorable. Oh. <laughs> Coming from honor boy over here. <laughs> it didn't benefit me too much because um, I still had higher honor than the other person that was in the same between, uh, region. Well, so. me. Yeah, between the three of us. So I was, it, it was kind of, um, it was no reason for me to have that, um, that um Now you, there. you suffered the effects of it twice, but what did you think about my Onia Spite, who walked, who says every time she moves... She steals victory points oh, from anybody who has a higher <laughs> honor than them. That was nasty. Oh. <laughs> so, that went off like three times or something against uh, you. Twice. Yeah, well, I mean, twice. Yeah. So I mean, it, basically, you just suck me dry. Now imagine. <laughs> so that's uh, <laughs> here, folks. I just want to paint a just, picture here. Just, wow. And this was not me being able to do this, and I was not happy with the person who did do this, who ended up winning the game. But let me paint a picture. Imagine being in a five-player game. Having the Oni of Spite, having a territory that has all four other players in it, and you're the lowest honor. <laughs> and the player deployed into the space and stole eight, stole two from everybody, mm-hmm. moved out of the space into another space that had two players, then moved back into the space. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was rough. It was <laughs> we, we were not happy with that player at all. <laughs> um, monster expansions. So we played. I, I, it's kind of hard to ask because I, I think I'm probably the only one that's really 
Did you do you have a feel for the difference between this card deck and the previous ones you played with? Um So I don't know. The base set kind of felt more monster combat focused. They were all more towards combat, I guess. And um, I think that's because we had two extra monsters. Yeah, but I think it was because I don't remember playing with um, at least one of the big monsters for me uh, that that helped me. I don't remember playing with that the last couple times that I played. But that's a monster expansion one. That yeah. wasn't a deck one. So there's two different types of things. One of the one of there's a base deck of season cards that you always use. Then there are five other sets. There's a teapot set. There's a knight set. There's an arch set. There's a ship set, and there's uh, something else. And this time we played with... I want to say I put the teapot set in. I think it was the teapot and the, the monster. And then we also added... So monsters are not part of those sets. They're just an add additional add-on. Mm -hmm. And you can put one to five, as many as you want, in there. Yeah. So And we did two for each season. So we had two additional monsters for each season that we randomly picked. So I guess what I, yeah, so like the arch set of cards is the basic set. Um, one of the set that we picked didn't have one of the Onis. It had cards that, like one of the cards that was different, which none of us took, was um, get victory points every time you kidnap or uh, every time you take a hostage. Um one of the other ones, actually, the, I, this one I did use at the end. One of my end bonus cards, um, the one that said get two victory points for every different type of season card you have, that was new for this set. Mm, okay. That The teapot set. Yeah, I don't remember seeing that. Yeah, before. so there's little things like that that swap out. Hmm. So, so I think we spoiled all this at the very beginning, but let's get down to brass tacks. Lamont, as the new guy who asked to play the Samurai game, who rated this a 9 at the beginning, how would you rate this game? Like, is this a game you'd play again? Is this... Obviously, Oh, I would definitely play again, <laughs> yes. Um, as I said, this was a, this was a very enjoyable game. Um, a, lot of, a lot of strategy involved, um, especially uh, seeing that even the most powerful pieces can be the weakest pieces, depending on the circumstances. Things don't go as you think they're huh. going to go. That's an interesting. That's an interesting percent. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, so to, uh, it's 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 a very enjoyable game because I mean it could go. I mean the weakest looking person could be the biggest winner. So it's I, I like games like that where it's unpredictable because you have to you have to think more than just. Okay, he's got the strongest group of people. No, let let me see where he's where his weak spots are. Yep. Let me see where there's opportunity. Those, I mean, that's that's what makes this game so enjoyable. So, those are the impressions of somebody that played it for the first time, Benjamin. You and I just want to caveat this: you've played this game with five people at Adepticon. Didn't mm -hmm. you play at Adepticon? Yeah, with I played us? at Adepticon. It was five so you people. played it with five people in a loud convention at Adepticon. Yeah, you've played it with three people like we did today. I'm pretty sure you've played it with four. I, yeah, I believe. So you've played it with, it with different numbers. Mm -hmm. um, I was 
honestly a little surprised today when I threw out the last minute bat signal and said, "Hey, we're playing Rising." Lot and I want to play Rising Sun. Who could come over? Yeah, and you were like, "Yeah, what the hell?" <laughs> like, like you have not been real hot on this game before, and we've talked about trying. You and I have talked about trying to figure out why because it's yeah. been curious to me. So, what do you think now? What did you think before? What do you think about multiple players in the game? So, uh, to get my thoughts before today out of the way, um, I was... Because of the way the season cards work and the way that uh, basically new territories are put up uh, where people are fighting every single turn, before today I felt like it just... The game felt really, really random and not really... There wasn't any sort of engine or long-term plan you could build towards, and that really made me not enjoy the game whatsoever. Um, I just kept... Bill is really big on this game, and I was like, I really want to see what Bill's seeing here. I don't see it. It just feels so random. No engine, no nothing. But after today, still not my type of game, but I... I have to say, I enjoyed today. You saw the engine. I saw. I saw an. I was actually able to build an engine this time, which is something that I like. Um, I would say that I. Um, I enjoy the game. Not. It's still not my type of game. I wouldn't necessarily be. But it's just the kind of player that I am. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. But if anybody says, "Hey, this is what we're playing with today," at least from today onwards, I'd be like, "Yeah, cool. I'll, I'll join in. I'll play." Um, don't don't get me wrong. I still think it's a. I can see why it is a very well-loved game and is a very good game, just not necessarily my style of game. Yeah, you've never, you've never been a huge detractor. I've never seen you be like, oh, I wouldn't go play that game. Like you've always seemed like you were willing to sit down, but I, I now understand a lot more when you say you saw randomness or you were having, you weren't seeing the strategy engine building. It was like you said earlier, right? Things just sort of happened, and you were like, yeah, what the hell? Okay, I guess I figure it out from here. Yeah, it just kind of felt like every single season was make the best of a, of a random situation of like, oh, this is where we are now. Oh, but all my troops are over in this corner. And, oh, all these cards that have been flipped up, they have nothing to do with what I was building before last time. And But I think a lot of my problems came from the fact of kind of not seeing the greater picture and being able to put dots together. Since the last time I have played, I have talked to you and I think Josh as well more of how the game really works. So I was able right. to come into this with a little bit more of, sure, a lot of it can be feeling random, quote-unquote, but it's really, you can build towards things, which was kind of my big problem before, is I felt like I couldn't build towards anything. So what do you think about it with at different player counts? So, um, my personal preference, um, when I was playing at a higher number, like five, um, I think that was the time that I didn't enjoy it the most. Um, I like it, I say, my opinion was three and four felt like the, the best numbers to play at, um, with, with me, with, uh, you know, three, it's, there's not a lot of stepping on people's toes, so kind of interactions a little bit lower, I'd say. Four, I feel like um, if I were to play again, that might be the next um, one to try again because it kind of gives that perfect balance of, you know, interaction, but also not stifling too much on people building engines where it's like, oh, we're both building towards this money thing. We're both kind of uh, not really doing it too well because we're both, you know, stepping on each other's heels. Hmm. Um, also with four players, you get the possibility of having 
two teams against each other with the whole uh, allegiance uh, mechanic of it, where these two players are together, these two players are together. When you have an odd number of players, it's everybody's together except for one player. So, right. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of my thoughts on the multiple sizes. So, I have a question for you, so I'm coming back to you, Lamont, but I love this game. To me, in taking some, listening to some of the things you're saying, it, it refines some more of my thoughts even more. Uh, there are so many levels of strategy and complexity. There are so many different puzzles to work out that it pays off for me. Like, every part of this game pays off for me. I, and, and from an enjoyment standpoint, uh, there's different puzzles to work out at different levels of the game, and there's bluffing, and there's politicking, and there's there's actual straight up combat, and there's just you know, um, so there's seriously on every level this game works for me. Now, I will say, I can on the one hand see how things get very random. Or could feel random if you're in the situation of all the combats are on the far side of the map and I'm on this side of the map because there's only so much movement. Like there's there are limits to all the actions. What's intriguing to me is in this game, I don't feel those. I don't feel like the limits are too much. I feel like they're right at the right point to make it a good puzzle. Um, in fact, most times when I have figured out what I'm going to do for an action. And then I actually come to my turn. I'm not saying I changed my mind, but I almost always find that there's more options than I was expecting. Where I was like, this is the best choice. Oh, actually, here's three choices that are all within a small degree of each other. Or here's two choices that are in a small degree of each other. Now I really have to sit down and it would benefit me to think through which of these. Maybe it wasn't the best choice I was thinking of. Um, but I can see with... If you end up having a couple people working towards the same strategy, they're going to step on each other's toes. On the one hand, that'll become frustrating. And if you're not thinking, not from the right mindset, but it could feel random if we're both grabbing cards. But the other side I see of that is if we're both embedded on building our, if we're both geared to building our engine, now it comes down to, which clan do we have that benefits from that engine better? And now it, with more players and people competing on the same engines, now suddenly, or strategies, it'll come down to, if we're both playing the same strategy, does one of us have an advantage towards that strategy? And, and maybe you play to that where it may not, I, to me, it doesn't feel as random. So I'm a little torn on that because on the one hand, I see what you're saying. And on the other hand, I'm like, ooh, that's kind of cool. Hmm. Right? What if, what if you're playing to the money and I'm playing to the money? Who does it better? The guy who gets everything cheap or the guy that generates a ton of money? Like, which one of us, if we're both competing for the same sets of cards and benefits? Um, playing at multiple players. I enjoy this game. God, it's the same answer. I enjoy this game at every level I play it at. The game changes... Like three players, four players, and five players are three different games. Mm. Now, I think at four and five, there is a benefit to putting in 
one of the expansions, which Lamont, you haven't seen, and Benjamin, I think you either haven't or may have seen. There is another expansion out there. I, I think the game plays great where it is, and I think it would benefit with more players adding in the extra monsters. Right? Just put more monsters in. That said, there is an expansion that adds two clans, the Sun and the Moon clan, which are Chinese clans. And they bring with them their own lucky gods. I don't think, not that it's not balanced, but I don't think there's as much of a gain putting them in where there's only one of those clans in play. Um, and I was saying this before, like in a three-player game, I don't think it's great to play with that with those two clans because one person has one of the uh, one of the restrictions on those Sun and the Moon clans is they can only buy the Lucky Gods. They're not allowed to buy the rest of the monsters. So if you have the Sun and the Moon clan both in, they're competing for a set of gods of models out of season cards, and then the other player gets all the see all the monster season cards themselves. If you have one person in with the, with either the Sun or the Moon clan, they get all their lucky gods themselves, and everybody else is competing for the monsters. Um, I think at four and five players is the best place to do it because then you have two or three people competing. For all the monsters, all the Japanese stuff, and then you have two people competing for the lucky gods. And I actually think that will take some of the competition and randomness away from what you saw, Benjamin, around mm-hmm. right yeah. uh, around that. Um, I like the Sun and the Moon clan as well. Strategies get very different the more people that are in play. There's more conflicts. There's more combats. There's, there's less control. Like, the way we played, everybody was going to have a turn. Everybody got to, um, how do I say this? Because it's 3-2-2, two, and two, because it's 7, everybody's going to play two mandates, and one person every turn is going to play three mandates. Mm-hmm. At five players, everybody's going to play one mandate, and two people are going to play two mandates. So suddenly, the alliances are more important, not necessarily more important, but they're they're more interesting. Uh, where you go in the turn, there's actually something to be said for, do I ally with somebody who's ahead of me? Do I try to ally with the person who's going to take two actions this turn? Do I ally with somebody who's on the opposite side of the rotation from me so that I get a benefit and then a couple of things happen and somebody else gets a benefit? Do I ally with the person who goes right before or right after me so that we can get back-to-back benefits like there's a lot of thinking in that where in a three-player game a lot of that complexity on the alliances just goes out the window hmm. right it does it's not as important yeah i can see that right so so yeah so that's my overall take and, and it is this is one of my it's one of my few games i have rated a nine it is one of my favorite games hmm. um could you picture or what are your opinion about playing with more players so this is the smallest that's supposed to be played. Okay. Um, just piggybacking off of what uh, yeah. Benjamin just said, uh, I can kind of see the randomness at five players. Uh, that's that's how many you played against, right? Yeah, I've played at five and four. Yeah, so um, basically I can, I can kind of see the randomness because, man, you got more people. And, yep. Um, I think three or four is best. Uh, so yep. three, um, there's one man out. Uh, the benefit to that is, hey, I can do a betrayal and not lose any honor. I can just do all kinds of, you know, little things like that, which is, yep. I think, is a benefit to the uh, game. 
Um, four, it's like a team against a team. So I like that. <laughs> so you would you would think that. Yeah. I will tell you what's amusing. I've played in a four player game where there and was a nobody, turn. Nobody lies, right? Oh no, no. There's always somebody that lies. But there was a turn where somebody was like, "No, <laughs> I don't want to be in an alliance." And you're like, "Oh crap." <laughs> that was <coming. laughs> Okay, betrayal boy. <laughs> Put the knife down. <laughs> um, the game I played that in also happened to be they were the ones that could that could pick their own. Oh, so okay. like from the beginning, they were like, "No, it's like crap." Here comes one, one betrayal, definitely, possibly three. Yeah, <laughs> and so that's that's just my opinion about it. Just just being my first time playing. Yeah. Um, so I guess um, my opinion, if when, when I see <coughs> when I see how five players can play it, in you know, you'll have a opinion, different opinion. I have a different point of view about it. But right now, I'm just kind of coming from the point of view of having played this the first time. Fair. So. There is, uh, let me see if I can find the news. Um, just something so that people know. Uh, Rising Sun is the second game in a series, but not really a series. Um, cool Mini or Not and Eric Lang, there it is, Ankh. Uh, cool Mini or Not and Eric Lang. Eric Lang, the designer, call me or not, the publisher of the game, originally published a game called Blood Rage. Blood Rage was a strategy game. It was Vikings fighting over Valhalla. Or, actually, not over Valhalla. Vikings fighting over the land. Um, Eric Lang said it was inspired by Risk. And big hit when it came out. Guys on a map, beautiful models. Uh, had the same the same artist that did this, uh, which is why well, can't I think of the artist's name? I'm gonna have to scan this page real quick. Uh, Adrian Smith did the art for that. Adrian Smith did the art for Rising Sun. Eric Lang designed Rising Sun. Colmini or not put this out. Eric Lang originally said Rising Sun is inspired by a game called Diplomacy. So they are kind of linked, right? They're they're a so um, an announcement that was made yesterday at Gen Con. Yesterday at the time of this recording, so this was made August second. Colmeen or not is pleased to announce Ankh, a new board game from the mind of Eric Lang, award-winning designer of the smash hits Blood Rage and Rising Sun, playing as a god of ancient Egypt, competing to survive as society begins to forget the old ways, so that only you and your followers remain. Uh, build caravans, summon monsters, convert followers in your quest to reign supreme. With great artwork by Adrian Smith and miniature arts directed by Mike McVeigh, who worked with both Eric on Blood Rage and on Rising Sun, Ankh is the final installment of Eric M. Lang's strategy trilogy. Deities, monsters, and peoples of ancient Egypt have been lovingly reimagined and interpreted in beautiful illustrations, detailed miniatures. Players can truly feel like the gods they, uh, the gods as they shake the foundations of Egypt. So, and cool art. Um, I have not heard what this was inspired by. Um... 
The quote from Eric Lang was, It was amazing to get the band back together for this game. It's always great to work with such phenomenal talents like Adrian and Mike. Uh, we are we all really poured our hearts and souls into this game. It's the finale of our trilogy of sorts, and we wanted it to really be something special. I'm very, really proud of what we've come up with and can't wait to see those grand figures battling on the beautiful game board. You haven't played Blood Rage yet, Lamont. You played Rising Sun. You were excited to play it. Benjamin, you've played Blood Rage. Yes, one time. One time, and... You've played Rising Sun, and before today, you were not real high on either of those. Correct. I love both of them. What's your take on the fact that there is a third in the trilogy of inspired by some mechanic strategic games coming out based on ancient Egypt? Man, I just hope I can like this one as much as you like these other ones. <laughs> There's got to be one of them, Because you right? know I'm getting it. Oh, I know you are. And I'm going to be forced to play it whether I want to or not. <laughs> hey, I only tied you up a little bit. Only as much as you asked. You bribed me with coffee and pizzas. <laughs> and the coffee's good. Coffee Death Wish coffee good. for the win. Mm. So, yeah. Um, uh, I, I certainly really like the theme. Um, at least seeing the, the little promo art that we have here available right now. Um, I certainly really like the artwork and the theme. So, I mean, how um, badass is that Egyptian thing? <laughs> that Anubis. <laughs> it's great. So, certainly interested on a, on a theme-wise, certainly. How about you, Lamont? What do you think? Well, I, as you said, I haven't played um, Blood Rage or anything <laughs> like that. And this is my first time playing um, Rising Sun. So I mean, if this is if this like Rising Sun in any way, it's probably going to be a pretty good game. So I really do. I just have something wrong with me, don't I? Like I see the stuff and I'm like, oh. <laughs> if only you could see you from my perspective, you just. <laughs> Sorry, let me clean up here a little bit. <laughs> I'm excited. I was very very excited to hear this yesterday, and. Um, I, I love these two games. So having a third one and getting big Egyptian models. Yeah. Bill's all over that. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I really am. So. Well, that's Rising Sun. Um, as a whole, I think we're all pretty positive on it. Mm-hmm. Now. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Now. Now. <laughs> so, so beat Benjamin into submission. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually, it took it took a couple tries of the game, but we got there. <laughs> got it, got it. So, uh, anything you guys want to add? Um, no, I think we pretty much uh, put all our thoughts on paper here. Say bye bye now. Yeah, bye bye now. <laughs> Well, dear listener, I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, That was Rising Sun by Cool Mini or Not. And as mentioned in the review, uh, there is a third in the series coming out. Uh, And we'll probably be jumping back to review the first in the series, Blood Rage. And, um, you know, I'm definitely on board and uh, will be either kickstartering or pre-ordering Onk, the uh, third in the series. So... That's that. If you enjoyed the show, uh, please help other people find the show and get their own reviews. Uh, You can 
Uh, you can find us out on Board Game Geek, and I'm using that a lot. Uh, you can comment on the podcast. You can find us on Stitcher. You can find us on Google Play. You can find us on iTunes. On any of those or all of those, please go out and leave a review. It will help other people find the show. It will pop the show up in a similar listen and things like that. Uh, also, um, I don't do a ton of updates, but every once in a while I do some updates out on Facebook. So if you're at all interested there, check that out. Thanks very much, and that's all for tonight. Mm-hmm.